Welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast. It is April. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and this episode is sponsored by 12th Street Sound, a recording studio in New Westminster, which is where I live. And it just so happens to be my favorite place to record and mix my music. Now, what can you do at 12th Street Sound? Well, the engineer there is Anthony Santorini, and he does all of the following things. Album, EP, and single recording in studio mixing music that you've recorded with him or without him, he can mix it, filming of live session videos in his studio for you to put out on YouTube or elsewhere in the world, and full production services where he can take any of your songs from idea to completion. And I found all of his services to be of excellent value. I've done pretty much all those things with Anthony, and I can attest that his recordings are great. They stand up to the best of the best, and he knows how to enable you as an artist. So if you want to work with Anthony at 12th Street Sound, go to 12thstreet.ca slash booking today and tell Anthony about your next project for 2022. We're also very excited to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Railtown Mastering, an audio mastering studio in Vancouver led by Andrew Downton. Mastering is, of course, the final step for finishing the music that you've recorded and mixed. And Andrew at Railtown is my top recommendation for mastering your music here locally in 2022. He's mastered a lot of my releases, and everyone I work with trusts that when we send him our mixes, he always sends us back music that sounds even better. And he has many notable clients in Canadian music beyond just us. So if you want to learn more about what Andrew does and whom he's worked with, you can visit his website, railtownmastering.com. And to contact him about getting your music mastered this year, email andrew at railtownmastering.com or find him on social media at railtownmastering. Email andrew at railtownmastering.com to get your music mastered this year or visit railtownmastering.com to learn more today. It was a pretty surreal experience. I got my butt handed to me, which is what I needed. Going up there, being reminded that you don't have all the answers yet. And I, I went up to him later that night and like, thank you for doing that. I really needed that. Happy Wednesday and coming at you from New Westminster, BC. It's the Rhythm Changes podcast, the only weekly interview show about creative music in Canada. On this podcast, I bring you my favorite kind of stories from the working world of music, which are the ones that happen before shows, in the intermission, and after shows, when you just get to hang and hear what people are all about. On this episode, I've got a saxophonist, keyboardist, and producer from North Vancouver. That's up next. Our guest today is a multi-instrumentalist and composer who graduated from Kaflano University's jazz program and has a Bachelor's of Education from UBC, who released his first album, Origin Story, on March 25th, 2022. He made the album himself with additional work from Nick Varelis on keys, guitars, and vocals, as well as Johnny Tobin on a featured synth solo. Previously, I've co-written a tune with him. But he took that tune and rewrote it significantly for this album, so I will not benefit whatsoever if you buy or stream this music, but he will, and you can find his album by searching for his name on Bandcamp or streaming it anywhere. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Jamie Hicks. Thanks for having me, Will. My pleasure. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, good, good. It's springtime. I can feel it. April 2022. Bring it on. I'm ready. I know. I wanted to bring it back to 
December 2021, though, to start off. And that's where I saw you post as you were making the album about an experience you had at Jazz Alley. I really like Jazz Alley. It's a venue in Seattle. I've been there a couple of times over the last decade, but not for many years. And you met at least two musicians who are big heroes and inspirations for you going to this gig at Jazz Alley. So can you talk about that? Who did you meet there? What happened? So I think I like I I periodically I browse the calendar on Jazz Alley and Jazz Alley seems to get a lot of the artists that never come up here. (laughs) And it's like three hours drive from from Vancouver. And so I was browsing the calendar and I saw the Jeff Lorber fusion group, but with Mike Stern. And I was looking at this and I'm like, oh, God, I need to go. (laughs) (laughs) well luckily there was no covid test that needed like the pcr test was scrapped at that point so yeah you know my dad and i drove down and we saw them and it was so jeff was playing keys he was playing two synthesizers uh mike stern was playing guitar gary novak was on drums and jimmy Haslip was playing bass it was it was nuts it was the yeah. best hour and a half of music or two hours I've ever I've ever heard. All right. It's insane. And I met I met Jimmy after. Super super nice. He's a he's doing a lot more producing now too. And then I also met I got to meet Jeff, which was a huge moment for me. Yeah. yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with Jeff Lorber, which would include me, I actually know him from maybe some of the posting you've done where you've talked about him influencing you. And maybe Johnny as well has referenced him. But what's he like as a musician? What does he mean to you? He's definitely a big influence on my keyboard playing. Like he's he was a big driving force behind me wanting to pick up the keyboard. Yeah. I know that I'll never get on his level but i do like i do a bit of transcribing and i listen to all of his stuff um and he's given a lot of artists their careers uh including kenny g actually okay (laughs) yeah kenny back when he was kenny gorelick he was playing in jeff lorber's band and jeff lorber is the one that got him his got that relationship started between him and clive davis Gotcha. Okay, so that led to his commercial success after he got a record deal through there? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, there's another name that I've seen you reference as a big influence, and it's somebody that I wasn't familiar with at all until I started prepping for this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. And I think this also has influenced your keyboard playing. So you talked about Brian Culbertson. Yeah, yeah. And you said in a post that he is the reason why you're a musician. That's pretty much a paraphrase from your post. So talk about him for a little bit too. So I can't remember when this was. This was either the year, bef- the year, like the summer before I started Cap or the summer after I started Cap. I think it was before I started Cap. And I was scrolling YouTube one day. And up until this point, you know, I, I listened to Charlie Parker and Sonny Rollins, and I had seen Sonny Rollins at this point, but I thought that was it for like <laughs> the only jazz out there was this straight ahead jazz. And I was on YouTube and I saw this this YouTube video. It was like Brian Culbertson and Dave Cosplay get it on live at Capitol Records. And I, I'm like, okay, what is this? I gotta watch this. I clicked on it and I just my, my jaw dropped to the floor. I'm like, wait. This is what you can do. <laughs> so I was so I've been listening to Brian ever since I started Cap. 
And from that moment on, I've been listening to his stuff, and I really like his his piano playing. He's very, very underrated. He gets he gets a bad rap, like a lot of those guys do. But he's he's a he's an amazing musician. He's a, and his the production on his albums is just ridiculous. Interesting. It's interesting. I say because you brought up this thing of oh he gets a bad rap like a lot of those guys, and that brings me to a certain genre term. If I'm mm-hmm. trying to discern, well, what are you talking about there? And if you listen to your album Origin Story, it's a largely instrumental album. You do have a vocal cover yeah. on it, which I'll ask you about later but it's an instrumental album with a lot of sax playing a lot of guitar soloing and playing a lot of keys fleshing out the arrangements and i think if you ask certain lay people what genre of music this is that you're making and the genre of these people who we're talking about like jeff lorber brian culbertson or indeed kenny g i think what they would call it is smooth jazz and so yeah. we got to reckon with this term right i'm yeah. just curious what you think about the genre we might call smooth jazz whether or not you identify with it i you know i think that this music gets such a bad rap because of the fact that these radio stations came up with that smooth jazz moniker i don't like it i i think that smooth jazz still is considered jazz fusion because it is jazz mixed with r&b funk rock latin pop whatever it depends on like the album you're listening to or the song but it in my opinion, it it still is jazz fusion. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, even gospel music sometimes, yeah. so church music could be an influence. Yeah. There's one more musician in that bag, and I'm probably more familiar with him than the other people we've discussed so far as your influences. And I actually really like him. I think he's great, and I think a lot of the stuff he does is a really great example for a lot of saxophonists like yourself or really any independent artist and that's bob reynolds Ah, so i'm curious if you could put some more to this what do you think makes bob reynolds great his work ethic is probably the the greatest i have ever seen anyone have especially when it comes to practicing that man is so disciplined to a level that i don't think i'll i'll ever get to (laughs) <laughs> and that's why he he's so impressive to me. And I actually know Bob Bob Reynolds. I've met him. I went. He has a like a saxophone camp in Victor Wooten's property in Tennessee. And I oh. I went there in 2018. And it's Bob Reynolds. It's run by Bob Reynolds and Bob Heminger and Bob Franceschini from Mike Stern's band. And the guests that that year was were Chris Cheek from New York. And Juan Roland and Jeff Coffin from the Dave Matthews band, and I, I got to meet Bob Reynolds and talk with him, and it was a pretty surreal experience. Hmm. And we were in clinics with him, and he, I got my I got my butt handed to me, which is what I needed. Okay. I gra- <laughs> when you graduate from music school, you th- you think you have it all, you think you've done all the work, and that was a really good experience for me. Is going up there. And being like reminded that you don't have all the answers yet. And I, I went up to him later that night and I'm like, thank you for doing that. I really needed that. Wow. Can I ask more about that story? What happened there? So it was with Bob Reynolds' workshop. We had to go up and the rhythm section would figure out a tune to play. You wouldn't know what it is. 
and they would do it in a style that is not normally played, and you would need to use your ear to figure it out, and you would have to play a chorus. The only resource you have is your ears. And so they, they played blue bossa as a swing, and so because it was in swing, my ears were not adjusted to that, and I made a fool of myself in a good way. In a good way. It was a really great experience, and he, that was one of the best lessons I've ever had from anyone. Nice. And he told me that to get better at ear training, you even just like go on Spotify, find a bunch of songs, put them on, and listen to them and try and figure it out. You know, you, you don't need to do all these, you know, sight singing exercises or sit at the piano with your eyes closed. It could just be putting on Spotify, listening to it, trying to figure it out. The transcribing thing relates to the ear training thing like so well. Yeah. Yeah, it could be a little bit of both, right? Like depending on how you're feeling on any one day. Maybe you do want to transcribe exactly. something and then some other days maybe you just want to learn songs by ear by listening to the recordings and all these other things, right? It can be a mixture. It can be different things day to day. Yeah. Okay, I want to get into your album. The first thing I want to ask you about your recordings is actually this thing that I know about as a meme from a YouTube video <laughs> that became a well-known jazz meme yes. among jazz college kids. And I'm not talking about The Lick. This is, I believe, post The Lick, post the seven-note yeah. thing that really was one of the original... I know exactly um, what you're talking about. <laughs> ...social media memes. I bet you do. And I found it on your recordings, not once, <laughs> twice. Now, I don't know if there's even more iterations of this lick that i haven't found yet but i found it on the tracks menu one from super smash bros melee which yep. is a cover of that piece of video game music yeah and i also found it in your composition called retreat to yoshi's island yeah. which if i'm not mistaken is not a cover of video game music but it's your original piece named evocatively of that right yes Yes. Yeah, so, of course, what I'm talking about here, as you've already picked up on, but we can introduce to people here, <laughs> is the Mario Kart lick. Yes. So, here's, here's the story about that. At my practicum school, I quite often will, if I have, like, a spare block, or even, like, sometimes I will have a day off, I'll go up, I'll go up and I will, you know, see my former students in and, and their jazz band class. And they, one of them asked me, Oh, Mr. Hicks, do you know how to play the Mario Kart lick? And at the time, I had said, no, I don't know how to play it. And I felt quite, <laughs> I felt a little <laughs> embarrassed that I didn't know how to play it at this point. Because I, I knew what it was. I knew that it went, that video, uh, you're talking about Saxo Logic, Nathan Grabeel, and he, that video of his just went completely viral. Like, yeah. It, and, like, I was embarrassed that I didn't know how to play it. And so, you know, I found it and I, I learned it in a couple of keys. And soloing on the menu theme from Super Smash Bros. Melee, it's hard, especially when you hit the bridge because it does the modulation thing. And I'm like, well, what can I play over this? Oh, the Mario Kart like, would be great. It would like, because they'll be listening to this video game music and then they'll be like, oh, he played the thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where it 
That's where it comes from. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a couple other interesting, funny quotes that you've thrown into the album, and I'm not sure what they all are, but I know that you've had a couple other things in there where I was listening to the cells, and I was like, yeah. oh yeah, that's a funny quote, right? Now, there's another track called Straight A's, and this is the only track where it's credited to both you and Nick, the composition. And this one, to me, is the one that sounds the most like it could be a video game music menu theme, you know? It's interesting you say that. This student I taught, his dad is an actor. He's been in, you know, shows like Riverdale and Supernatural, Nancy Drew, a lot of the ones on the CW network. He had asked me to write the theme song for a podcast he was doing about what it's like to be Canadian. It's called I Don't Speak Canadian. Oh. And I think it's on Spotify and Apple, the Apple Podcasts app. Okay. So he, he's asked me to write this theme song, but I like, I haven't done this before. And I'm thinking like, oh, maybe it'd be fun to write it with someone. Now, who could I get to help me write it? Who would be interested in this? I've been working with Nick since 2016, since my grad recital. He's, he's the only keyboard player I've really played with long term. Yeah. He's an amazing guitar player. So I went, we got together, first time we got together was at his home studio, and he was, he was listening to the soundtrack to Mario Kart 8, believe it or not. That's interesting that sounds like video game music to you, because that is the exact vibe we were going for. Okay, yeah, no, that does make sense. I just remembered now what one of the other quotes was, and it was from Retreat to Yoshi's Island, and I think you quoted the actual Yoshi's Island music in there, is yeah, that right? Yeah, from yeah. Mario, Super Mario World, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not Yoshi's Island, Super Mario yeah, yeah, World. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's what was throwing yeah. me off. No, I, I dug that tune, and I also thought, it seems like with that title, what you're going for is you are kind of in that style, like you're trying to write a tune in that style of what might yeah. be in a game, right? Each Each one of these songs has a story or a like a really interesting piece of information and retreat to yoshi's island is actually like a tune i wrote for this album like specifically it was written this year i have a close friend of mine she sent me this she suggested that i check out this band called ses and it's like a k-pop female supergroup. and she sent me their song paradise and i listened to it and i'm like whoa what is this there's like jazz harmony in this song it was it was crazy and i was trying to write this too and i'm like okay what, what if i took elements of like korean pop and mixed it with jazz that's what's how retreat to yoshi's island happened it, definitely referencing that paradise song because it's yoshi's island is kind of like paradise like area in nintendo oh okay yeah yeah no, that's cool i see i see how that fits together now yeah nice okay so track one on the Bandcamp official track mm. list is Inside Passage, okay. and that might be my favorite track, but I notice on that track that there are a lot of motifs that I associate with the title track, Origin Story, which I recall from when we were working on it back in mid-2020. Yeah. And to me, that makes it seem like it's very well suited to be the title of this album. And of course, Origin Story is just a nice title for anybody's first album. Yeah. But I noticed that there seems to be these motifs from that composition. Inside Passage is the one where I really noticed that. Is that a thing or am I imagining it? What do you think? You're, I don't know if you're imagining it or not, but Inside Passage was written, I wrote it a long time ago. It was after, definitely after Origin Story. Maybe it's because there's a few sus chords in the 
chorus over different inversions. I can't remember. That's my hardest one to play over. Mm. There's either like one chord per bar or like two chords per bar, and it changes like it modulates too. It's it's a really cool composition, and I always keep it in my catalog. There's just some tunes I don't play anymore, but I play that one a lot. Yeah. I feel like I was around for, to make it really meta, the origin story of origin mm, stories. Yes. Because I could recall being around at CAP <laughs> on campus hanging out. Yeah. And I saw you pull out this chart, which is now this tune. And it's the title track of your first album several years later. And I know that there was this significant rewrite even from the single version that you had put out previously and all the new stuff you've added to it now. So I was wondering if you could just kind of scan across that whole period of time and talk about how you've developed this tune in particular. So as you've said, the version of Origin Story that we played at that recital at CAP with, you know, Johnny and Bobby, Bobby Weens and those guys is very, very different than the ones than the one that you hear on the album now. It's yeah. gone through many, many, many changes, and I've never been 100% happy with my compositional choices. So, like, it's gone through definitely multiple <laughs> evolutions, let's just say. Specifically, like, I've probably changed the bridge at least four times at this point. It was out of pure curiosity messing around with the bridge for, for this one, and I just found, like, the sending major seven chords at the beginning sounded really cool and then it kind of built from there yeah you've talked about how all the titles have different meanings so i just want to hit on some of the other tracks and bounce around the titles and see what you got to share about them next one that i was thinking of was maybe the most fusiony in the way that you want to describe it slide on over oh yeah so you 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 were talking about brian culberson right yeah. So these chords, in fact, in fact, like the most of the harmony is a, is actually like it's a contrafact of one of his songs. Oh, nice. He, my favorite album he ever did was Another Long Night Out, which is a complete re-recording of his first album, Long Night Out, and he has a song there called Horizon. I love this song and. And I was, you know, I, I have trouble coming up with chords when I'm songwriting. And so quite often, like, I'll go and listen to, you know, my favorite artists and I'll he hear what they're playing. Like, oh, those chords sound cool. Maybe I'll use something similar to that. So it was writing out these chords and coming up with new melodic ideas. And that's how this, this song started. The hard part of instrumental music is always coming up with a title. And yeah. Nick helped me title this one. And it's like, I, I, I think it fits. You're like strutting along or like walking somewhere like you can think of it as like sliding on over to your friend's house or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that checks out. Okay, what about Skyline? This is another song that uh, you probably might have played. Oh, really? Because I wrote it while we were at Cap, yes. Huh. I was trying to figure out what the last tune was going to be on this record. And the thing with it, like they were all similar tempos and very upbeat funky songs and i'm like okay i needed maybe i should have a ballad and i was thinking oh i wrote that one ballad i wrote for my grad recital and i've never played it since it's about vancouver okay so skyline i imagine like this song makes me think of like there's all this fog around vancouver and then you come out of the fog and you see like downtown vancouver like the skyline of it Nick programmed the drums on that one, 
I did everything else. So I did like Saks, I did Rhodes. There's Wurlitzer on there too. It wasn't as big of a project as some of my other songs. Oh, I see. Yeah, like the actual production itself went smoothly. Yeah, it was a pretty small production. Okay. So because you grew up in North Van, that's the skyline view that you're talking about. That's the view that you're used to yeah. looking down south at downtown Vancouver, yeah, right? exactly. All right, what about the other ballad, Moving On? Yeah, so it's, it, it's about like moving on from pain. Because if you listen to it, it has like a somber vibe, but there's like some sort of hopeful vibe in there too. I've dealt with a lot of pain, struggled with like some people have, you know, passed away. And so I decided to put this one on there because I think it, it has like a good message that like you have these painful events that happen to you, but it's about the time that it takes for you to process that event and move on. One of the favorite tracks of mine on the on the record yeah i thought it was one of the one of my favorites as well yeah okay there's a couple more left before we close out here and i think now i want to ask about how you ended up making this vocal cover with an uncredited vocal feature for nick of uh, lovely day by bill withers yeah so when nick and i quite often play a lot of gigs together and we always end up doing this song it's an easy song to do on a gig and it's a lot of fun and it's unfortunate that bill withers passed during the pandemic lean on me mm-hmm. just the two of us lovely day ain't no sunshine like those are all number one hits yeah. he means a lot to me a lot more than i thought originally until i found out that he passed yeah and i know we were talking off air here beforehand that you haven't made cds yet but you're planning on making cds and so when you go ahead and make those if you're listening to this now and that's already happened then you'll be able to find them on jamie's Bandcamp, right yeah yeah, uh, yeah. there that's where i will share information about them i'm in the middle of figuring that out I, nice yeah yeah hey at least you're not pressing vinyl records that could take a long oh. time for you to figure out right now if someone was wow. asking me about vinyl and i'm like oh no <laughs> <laughs> That's a long, long lead time. I hope something happens there. That's a whole other can of worms. But yeah, um, I know. The last thing I want to ask about here is the Funk Station. That's a fun oh. track. It's the closing track on the album. Yeah. And you've got a more up-tempo arrangement with some more exuberant soloing. And you actually have Johnny playing a keys solo. He is the first soloist in the arrangement yeah. with his kind of signature pitch bends and licks that seem to ascend forever and ever and when i listened through that track and i saw that that's how you laid it out he's first you're coming in with another keyboard solo after that so i have to ask what is it like to follow johnny tobin on a synth (laughs) solo in a song (laughs) so that following johnny tobin is not me oh it's nick okay yeah it's the only keyboard solo that nick played on the record all the other ones are me Oh wow, okay. Yeah, I'm not I'm not half bad, right? <laughs> but you know, <laughs> originally without the, originally this was not going to have Johnny on it. It was going to be me soloing on another synth and then Nick going after me. We're going to have like this synth duel thing, but like I was like it was like I was recording take after take after take and I'm like nothing I play is as good as what Nick was doing. So I I thought well, what could I do? What could I do? Like, oh, I still have those synth takes that Johnny sent me when we did the Kinda Nuts like single, which is what the Funk Station is. 
The Funk Station is the original title. Okay. Yeah, and so I asked them, contacted Johnny, and I said, would it be okay if I put, you know, one of your solos on this on this album? And he's like, oh, yeah, go for it, yeah, yeah. And so I edited it down and so that, you know, Johnny and Nick are both soloing on the on synth, and it sounds really cool. And then, you know, Nick has the guitar solo after, and then... You know, we come back in with the chorus, and then I have the outro. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. that's cool. I had no idea that that was the one synth solo that you didn't do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything else, all the other keyboard solos were, were, were mine. Yeah. Well, that's a fun way to end off your album. I enjoyed listening to it, and it's cool to learn about your origin story. So thanks so much for taking the time to come to chat with me today. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks for having me, Will. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you like what we do here, I invite you to sign up to the free weekly article that I write. This week's article available now is about Home Roots, the Traveling Good Time Medicine Show and the BC World Music Collective. So if that sounds interesting to you, check that out. If you like what you read, you can sign up for the free weekly article today right on our homepage at www.rhythmchanges.ca.